0: Hello there, and welcome to the Citizen ATX Podcast. My name is Matt Gillum. I am here today in the studio with Lauren Ortiz. Hello, Lauren. Howdy. And our friend, Jonathan Spencer. How are you, buddy?
1: I'm good. How about you?
0: I am doing okay. I've got on my mind those compelling commercials that I see on Sunday Night Football about lawyers, Mm. right? Uh, So, you know, I grew up in the DFW area, and we had a local personality named Jim Adler, the Tough, Smart Lawyer. Yeah uh he was the texas hammer so where you guys grew up because you grew up here in austin right uh, and then lauren you grew up in houston Mm -hmm. steven where did you grow up again in arkansas all right so do y'all did y'all have like local personalities that just happened on these injury lawyer
1: commercials or whatever
2: I'm sure we did, but I don't remember anything from childhood about needing. Not a like, Tom- or not like Thomas
1: like J. Henry. Or- it's funny because oh, I've heard I, of that one. Oh, I know Thomas J. Henry. Yeah, he's all over my TV all the time. My kids know Thomas J. Henry, which that's the funny part. Is I don't remember as a kid, but my kids, if you brought up Thomas J. Henry in all seriousness, they all know exactly who he is. Where we've had jokes before. Daniel's five years old, and is well. Sometimes like like name animals we see or something, kind of just you know being funny. He's named so many animals, Thomas J. Henry, <laughs> just,
2: just, like, just
1: as a funny joke, but it shows you lawyer yes. commercials. They work, man. I'm they telling work.
0: You. but see, it used to be on daytime television. So that's why, that's why I would know. I was like, if you're sick, you're watching price is right. And then you got all those da- all the uh, injury lawyer commercials and, uh, the clinics and things like that. So
2: honestly, guys, full transparency. I haven't had cable in like 10 years, so I couldn't <laughs> tell you anything. No, of this yeah. I'm you, a millennial. Thank you, you very much. You argue about that every time. The yeah. Netflix generation. The Netflix
0: generation. <laughs> 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 I want my money now. So, anyway, (laughs) why are we talking about lawyers today? Well, we are on the Parables Reimagined series. This is the last episode in this. We've enjoyed looking at these stories that Jesus told and bringing them up into contemporary context. And this one is one that I think has caused us a little bit of pause as we've tried to make it more contemporary, to understand the characters in a more uh, contemporary light. Uh, And so, but today we're going to look in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, which is popularly called the parable of. Of the Good Samaritan. And so this is something that's kind of entered in, I would say, out of a lot of things in the Bible, this is one that people who had never read the Bible might have an idea about uh, just because of some of the uh, connotations surrounding it of, you know, being a good person in general and all that. And so Jonathan, what's happening in this passage? Where where are we jumping into the action here with Jesus?
1: Well, Jesus is going to have an interaction. And uh, we talked about lawyers because lo and behold, lawyers are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you're going (laughs) to see a lawyer right here in the scripture, and he's going to have an encounter with Christ. Uh, and like a good lawyer, he's got questions. So he's going to ask Jesus a question, and it's going to stem into a, a lengthy answer through a parable. Uh, as Jesus always does, he he gives these answers that are going to take a little bit of critical thinking. Um, but it all comes from this conversation Lauren's going to share with us.
2: Do you want me to start right in verse 25? Yeah, okay? let's introduce it. All right. And behold, a lawyer stood up, to, stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live.
0: So I imagine the uh, crowd around him, right, right here. That that lawyer, he's high fiving his law buddies, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? And like, you can. I mean, I don't. I, lawyers then were probably not like lawyers now, but you can imagine they're a bunch of bros, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's like they're hanging around doing their bar trivia, and, <laughs> <laughs> and he just he just named all of the hobbits from the Lord of the Rings series or whatever. But I mean, there definitely is some posturing happening here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he even goes beyond the normal with all your heart. Uh, with all your heart, mind, and strength, he had soul in there too, right? I mean, he goes a little bit above and beyond in his answer. I do also love, though, that Jesus doesn't just outrightly tell him the answer Mm -hmm. to his question. Um, I mean, he kind of is a, you know, he has this expectation of, I'm not going to give you what you want here. I'm I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of you know, making you the best guy, right? Well, I think
1: it's a great principle, even before we get to the content of it, of his exercise, his methodology. Mm-hmm. Lots of times when we're asked contested questions, like really heated questions, we always give heated answers. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes one of the wisest r- approaches really is just to ask them a question back. Like yeah. instead, and Jesus does that all the time when people come to him in really hostility, yeah. they, they ask hard questions and he just asks them a harder question and let them, mm-hmm. let them think about their own answer. So,
0: well, cause this guy isn't asking a legitimate question. He's, he's trying, he's trying to test it says in this in the scripture now it doesn't seem like he it does not seem as much like he's trying to make him say a bad thing i guess i don't know i mean it, it i guess kind of is i mean it, the and the lawyers in this context are not like the classical lawyers that we would normally consider mm-hmm. of our thomas j henry's and jim adler's of the world right. this is more of someone who is an expert in the jewish law so mm-hmm. these are guys who weren't, weren't as i understand it they're not quite priests but they did hold over the people this this role of an expert. So, like, whenever someone would have a question about the law... These would be the guys they go to. So, in in reality, this guy is kind of like a law professor. I guess mm-hmm. is probably a more uh, more valid or a judge even to that extent of someone who could say, "Hey, I hold the truth. I know the right answers to everything." So people come to me. So then that made him in this in this context the right person to ask the question because basically he's he's trying to put Jesus under his authority. And that interesting though, how that often happens where, you know, when we have a question of, of Jesus, we don't really want him to answer. We want him to say what we want him to say. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
2: It's interesting that Jesus asked him the question, knowing Mm -hmm. that he would have the knowledge of the correct answer. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that he asked him that I've never, I've never had the context of what the lawyer actually meant at this time. To to put a
1: preacher application to it. I think, I think it's that sometimes we ask God questions. We already know answers to Mm -hmm. is in part. I think sometimes that's an aspect of it. We just don't like the answer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's part of that that he knows it and he does. He gives the right answer and he's pointing back to Deuteronomy six ultimately and he's given the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he also summarizes the summarizes it with love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes six hundred plus commandments and reduces it to two. He clearly has an understanding of the law yep. and he summarizes it and Jesus even approves of it. He says, yep. like, you got it right. But that's what leads to the, the issue. It wasn't about being right. It yeah. was about the guy's um, effort, or not effort, excuse me, intentions with that mm-hmm. answer. It's what he was trying to accomplish with it. Yeah, so Lauren hit verse 29 for us. So
0: we'll see, kind of, we'll get into the mind of this lawyer here real quick.
2: But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor?
0: All right, so I think part of this too, I think he's looking for a little bit of bonus credit here also, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he answered all the right questions, but he didn't get the A plus that he really wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh you mean, and in reality, he still has himself placed as an authority over Jesus. Um, so now he's kind of he's not letting it go. And what does it mean when he says that he wants to, to justify himself? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's
1: not a good thing, yeah. you know, because because <laughs> we're not able to justify ourselves. But he's trying to elevate himself into a right standing with God and Jesus being this sacred teacher leader. He's trying to prove his own worth and merit and elevate himself up there. But he's at the end of the day, trying to make himself right. And, and, and that's really what is at the heart of that. And it shows his insincerity of it because his ambition isn't to honor God, it's to honor yeah. himself. He's trying to make himself righteous and correct. And and Jesus is able to read through that. But, but the reason why I say you can know that about the guy that his heart's wrong is because of his question. Because yeah. Jesus gave a clear answer. He said, you got it right, just go do it. Like you already know what's right. Just yeah. apply your heart to the truth you already know. And the guy then wanted to get into the nitty gritty of it. He said, well, who is my neighbor then? If that's what I got to do, then who are we talking about? Who's specific?
0: Well, and this reminds me of those kind of folks who put like real quote, deep questions on Instagram and met, <laughs> like kind of, cause what he's doing is posturing. He he right? Is. you know, or what, what's the a virtue signaling in yeah. that, in that the popular yeah. word for it, yeah. you know, it's, it's this idea. He doesn't really want to do what he, what he asked God or asked Jesus about. He just, he wanted to make himself look good in the context yeah. of this, this crowd. Um, and I mean, he, he, his desire is not to follow what has actually been said, but he wants to know how he can use a cheat code, right? Yeah. Do I really have to love everybody? Like, what I mean, who is my neighbor? How can mm-hmm. I discern this so I can do the least amount of actual work possible but get the ultimate gain out of it? Well, I think
1: it also shows kind of that application of games we play too, that sometimes we try to negotiate with God mm-hmm. um, of, you know, really how much do I have to, like in a relationship, to apply just a simple mm-hmm. illustration. Yeah when you're dating someone, how far is too far, God? You know, what am I allowed to do and what am I not allowed? And it's like, yeah. that's your problem right there. It's your question <laughs> to begin with. That's why anytime somebody asks me that, that's where I try to go to. Yeah. It's like, you already know the answer because there's marriage and there's not, and there's everything or there's nothing. That really is for the, for the most part what scripture communicates. It's principles of lust and heart and all these things mm-hmm. and preserving for marriage and keeping the marriage bed pure you know all the scripture, but the heart of the question isn't about understanding. It's it's about the application of of how much sin can I really have or how close can I get to the sin before I actually make him mad? And that's already making him mad. Like that's yeah. that's the problem, is yeah. like you're wanting to play a game to get as close as you can without it. And, uh, and your motive and your heart ambition isn't how do I honor God the most that that's not the intention. So that being one example, that's just common that I think single people always go through that season, Mm -hmm. uh, especially within the realm of purity but i think we all play that game to some point in our lives if we try to negotiate um you could do another example of giving you know how much should i give you know does the tithe yeah. still apply to the new testament and really what does he want well at the heart of a lot of that oftentimes if we're being honest with ourselves is how little can i give yeah. um to make him happy uh and make sure i don't get in trouble and it's not stemming from a spirit of generosity of how much can i give god and what what how can i honor the lord with the maximum amount of effort with what I've been entrusted with. So, you know, the lawyer gets a bad rap, but I guess my point is we're all lawyers. We all do the same thing, yeah. and we argue from our own positions trying to do as little as we can to yeah. honor God and stay out of trouble. Well, and it's
0: with that tone in mind as Jesus goes into his parable, because it, and we need to recognize that with this, because I think we, we tend to generalize it a lot more. This is a specific parable to a specific situation, uh, and to the, to the heart context of this guy looking to say, mm-hmm. to say, what does it really mean to be a neighbor? to somebody else. So with that, Lauren, would you jump us into uh, verses 30 through 31?
2: Absolutely. Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side.
0: Go ahead and add 32 in there also.
2: So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side.
0: All right, so who who is this priest? And well, first of all, we don't give it. You're not given any kind of identity as to who the man is. He's just mm-hmm. you know guy incognito. There's, there's nothing nothing about him. Likewise, we're not told anything about the robbers. They just it, that the place that Jesus is describing is a pretty common place that bandits would hang out. in. um, you know, I, I don't know if did you go to Jericho whenever we you did? Were, yeah. yeah. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah. That's kind of the common context for it. You know,
1: there's. I mean, if you go to Jericho, actually, obviously, it's an ancient city, and and it's on in route you. It says from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's in the Western bank nowadays. So it's in, in Palestinian territory, but, but you're seeing a guy journey in from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's, he's going that route. He's robbed by others from outside of the Holy city. And the priest is a descendant of Aaron. So he has priestly Mm -hmm. responsibilities in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he's the one walking by and, and, uh, and he's having an issue of, it's interesting. He went from probably a place of worship, you know, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and honoring God to an example of, well, now I'm leaving Leaving the house of God, uh, and he doesn't want to be the hands and feet of God in that moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have the Levite also, who's like the the music minister at yes. the church. And they, <laughs> yes, they, that's they, a good way to put the, it. The Levites were the ones who wrote the music. So you have a pastor and a music minister pastor. That's a good
1: way. way to put it. And they just left church, and then yeah. they found a guy on the side of the street that's <laughs> yeah. got a problem. They're like, eh. Well, there's, the, <laughs> there's two. The, <laughs> that's, it's that's what you're seeing in terrible. the picture. It is. But, it is what you're seeing. Well, and he,
0: here here's where it kind of starts to get a little sticky, too. Like, first of all, when I look at this, you know, that road from Jer- Jerusalem. To Jer- Jericho was a notoriously dangerous right. road place rocky for people- terrain yeah yeah. but here's here's something that, that comes to mind first that I think we say a lot of times in our modern context when people find themselves in trouble and they they do something stupid that or, or they just make a mistake that causes them to have desperation in their life well they deserve it they should have made a better decision yeah right mm-hmm. I think that's, that's part of where your motivation first comes in the person who's listening to this, like, well, he was going down a dangerous road. He should have known better. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times we condition our desire to be a neighbor to somebody else based on their choices that they made before they got to the point of desperation. Um, And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it is what we do. And I mean, and you see that. In a really bad term, a lot of times when you have issues of sexual assault and stuff like that, where people say, well, that person deserved it. It was because of what they were wearing or whatever. Friends, let's just go ahead and clear the air here. Nobody ever deserves to be sexually assaulted in any context. So just let's leave that at the door.
1: Well, well, and even to put it in a lesser extreme ones, like of of just looking at homelessness, for instance. instance, That's one that everybody can see every day when you drive by a homeless person on the side of the road that's begging for change or in trouble. It's easy for all of us, and I've been there too, where you look at them and your immediate thought is judgment of that same point of, yeah. well, they made some really bad decisions to get them there. And truthfully, for lots of them, they did. I mean, that's yeah. that's the honest truth, but but still the point in this passage is when you see someone in trouble, doesn't really matter how they got there. This guy traveled 18 miles from Jerusalem, mm-hmm. Jericho by himself in a really bad, dangerous place, yeah. but he got whipped, you know, he, got, he had a problem. And, yeah. and and that doesn't negate that there's a problem there, and then there's a call from Jesus to actually respond to that.
0: There's also, baked into this, a little bit of a religious deal too, because the priest and the Levite were required by the mm. Jewish law to remain clean, and part of remaining clean means you don't touch a dead body. Right. So one of the things that Jesus is calling out here, especially to this expert of the law, is like you realize that by the way that you have interpreted the law, is causing you to break the spirit of the law that you, you profess. Mm-hmm. You say that God tells you to love everyone with everything that you've got, and yet when you're confronted with a situation that you have placed upon the law, now you can't do it. Or yep. even in this case, he wasn't dead. And probably clearly wasn't dead, but the guy Mm. was. Well, you know, just to be on the safe side, I'm going to go ahead (laughs) and stay on my side of the street. Mm -hmm. But that's ultimately, I think, there's two two things in this. When we when we look at our response to need in our world, you know, sometimes we see these people who are in desperate situations, and we judge them, and beyond that, we hate them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of times what I see with this rage from people of how dare that person ask for money for whatever, or how it becomes this this personal attack when it's a person who's just desperate. And in need mm-hmm. whether you give to them or not there's no reason to hate them mm-hmm. like that i mean that they haven't when they haven't done anything to you <laughs> but the second thing is we have to be very careful with our practice of religious virtue that we don't neglect the actual spirit of the of what was commanded in the first place. Yep. That oftentimes, so like for instance, one of the ways I've seen this in act out in church culture is when a teenager gets pregnant, mm-hmm. because automatically the a lot of times the re- reaction is, well, we got to get them away from the other kids, because then all the other kids are going to start getting pregnant too. Yep. When this is a, a young woman who is definitely in a difficult space mm-hmm. and needs the support of her community around her. You know the question is like because the person made a terrible decision in a sin does that mean that now they are not valid to be helped or treated as a as a neighbor? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean Jesus knows what he's doing here. He is poking this guy right in the eye, and now it's going to get a little bit worse. Uh, Lauren, uh, go ahead and read verses thirty three through thirty five for me, please.
2: But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you when i come back
0: all right so john then first of all what is a samaritan is this some kind of uh, animal or bird or?
1: <laughs> you see, you the, another good example of this. I'm just going to connect the dots. Is in John four when when Jesus comes across a Samaritan woman at the mm-hmm. well. So this yeah. is a this is a cultural group that Jesus speaks towards because it was very pertinent to that day. Samaritans were those who were north of Israel. So in 722 BC, Assyria conquered the northern empire of Israel. They conquered them, then they intermarried, all kinds of things happened just culturally where things shifted for hundreds of years. And what the Samaritans over time became were the people there north of Israel who over years and generations were seen as these half Jewish, half uh, Assyrian Gentile outsider, dirty people that kind of had a little bit of lineage there to Israel, but they were really considered, you know, half Jews and rejects, and they were they were uh, ultimately pushed out. It was it was a race issue at the core of it, it really was. It was mm-hmm. it was you know racism to put a put it into a term of today's understanding, yeah. where the Jews looked at them not only as spiritually different because they were not full blooded Israelis, mm-hmm. but then also just as a mark of their intermarriage and the morphing of that lineage up there that they were rejected by God. They were they were yeah. dirty, they were different, and they were, saw them as a separate ethnic group that they shouldn't touch.
0: Now, there is a little bit of a, you know, the, the one thing I think that, also makes this difficult for contemporizing it a little bit is that the Samaritan religion was different than the Judaistic yeah. one. And so there, there was a problem of belief that they kind of half believed in mm-hmm. the God of the old Testament, but that it was also informed by their national identity. Um, but so you see this person and I think the, the biggest point that we need to take from the character is that this person would have been universally hated by everybody who was listening to the conversation. Yeah. This is a scoundrel. This is a Dudley do right, not Dudley do right. The other one, um, Dastardly, whatever his name was um, from the cartoon, um, Marvin Martian. How about that? And he was just a, just a bad guy. Um, you know, as I think about it, though, in the context that we have talked about the pastor and the the worship leader walking by, I honestly think about this might be your once every six months Christian who comes to only <laughs> Christmas and Easter. Yeah, because generally you think about church folk, the kind of people that they don't like are the people who all of a sudden show up at Christmas and Easter. And are acting like they're a part of everything when really they haven't put in their dues of being there every Sunday, even when they didn't want to be, which is always kind of the, the funny thing in the <laughs> background of miserable church people. And so, but you have this person who's this great enemy of the people, and yet he is the one who's actually doing the right things. So, Jonathan, why why does why does Jesus use him as an example here? I mean, because I, I think where, where it was problematic for us is you know. It, Religiously, he's he's not on base. No, he, he 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 is in a bad position. He really should be better mm-hmm. in a different place. Religiously. But why does Jesus
1: put him in this position as the hero of the story? Well, one, I will say this is kind of a side note, but I think it's showing the scope of the gospel. First of all, Mm -hmm. that God's intention is to save mankind through Jesus Christ. So you see Jesus in his ministry that he does minister, yes, to the Jews, but also Mm -hmm. to the Gentiles. And he Mm -hmm. he reaches those who were unreached. And it's really paving that pathway Uh, towards the Great Commission that Jesus' intention is for his hope and his message to go to all of mankind. So Mm -hmm. you see an inclusivity there in the gospel uh, in Luke 10 where he's including the Samaritan into the narrative, just like when he ministered to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and offered her living water. Mm -hmm. Um, But here, why specifically the Samaritan in this moment with that lawyer at the core of it's because the lawyer would have hated him like he's he's picking the worst example because the guy said well which neighbors do i need to love Mm because jesus already knows the game he knows the guys Mm -hmm. thinking well there's some people i just can't stand i i can't come near them i'm gonna make sure i can get away with being horrible to this group of people or those Mm -hmm. folks so Jesus just went to the top of the list. He just picked the ones that he knew he'd hate the most. And he said, <laughs> he said well, actually, that guy, he's got, I'm going to rope him into the story and make him the hero just to blow this guy's mind. Um, but that's why Jesus is going to the guy's heart. And he, he knows that this is a stumbling block for the man. So he's, he's bringing it right into the equation of his parable.
0: I guess it could be like saying if, they, if the lawyer was a Red Sox fan, that the guy, the Samaritan was a Yankees fan, right? Like, there you go. A, a icicle to the heart. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think one of the big things that Jesus is challenging here is this this posturing, this identity of, because of my identity, I'm better than other people, and I should only surround myself with the kind of people that are like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's clearly not what the intention of the gospel is, right? I mean... But even now in the church, we do the same thing. Whether it's because someone who is rough around the edges, or somebody that we don't know. Right. Um, sometimes it's people who challenge our authority or the way that we do things. You know, that we we tend to say, "I think God loves the people who are like me more than the people who are not like me." Um, and uh, you know, Jesus kind of calls it what it is. You know, the the fruit shows the tree, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that you do, the things that we say, the things that we, the way that we live our life, winds up usually demonstrating who we are on the inside.
1: And I think this, is, uh, this isn't this is the point of the story, but I was also going to say this, because I think you see the Samaritan being the hero. I think it also just reminds us sometimes that there is common grace and goodness in yeah. all of mankind, that we're all made in God's image. Because mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes Christians can have the... the uh, The tendency to villainize people of different faiths and other areas, which yes, they are not on the same page of salvation. And yes, that's a big issue. And no, we cannot doctrinally agree a hundred percent, but it doesn't mean they're less than human, you know, because they've got it all twisted up in their faith and because they're pursuing the wrong God and the wrong means of salvation, I, I've met a lot of really kind, gracious, good people from other faiths. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at people from other faiths with with that tone of just judgment and hatred because they they walk a different life and they worship a different God, yes, we need to witness to them and we need to love them and lead them towards Christ. But we we also have to be careful that we don't hate them and demonize them because I think that also is a Western Christianity temptation. Is that we're the good guys, everybody else is the bad guys, and if they worship a different god, then somehow we can't we can't even acknowledge they might be decent people, and that we can be friendly to them and be kind to them, mm-hmm. and share some air with them, you know, in some public places. But um, but anyway, I, I know that's a sensitive topic because I'm not advocating for caving in theology yeah. or convictions or even partnership in in a lot of things because we can't we worship different gods. But I think we have to be careful that we don't view people that are from other faith areas as, as lesser class humans, which which can happen. It happens in churches.
2: Well, I think that also like applies to people that have um, a desire to serve and work in, in different charitable organizations. Yeah. I mean, they, they see that the world has a need um, and they want to serve and meet that need and more so sometimes than people in the church. Like yeah. sometimes people yeah, in the church okay. don't want to go and they don't want to give, but there there's something within people that are non-believers that still want to you know that they see a need out in the world and they want to meet that. And so I feel like that also applies here that's kinda well. like
0: That's kind of like that Gandhi quote, right? Like where he says, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. Yeah, you know? It's like, I I, I, fought, I, love, um, I, think Christ is great, but the people who follow him are not. And right. I think that's, that's kind of what's being, partly what's about being said here is like, you say that you are, you're wanting to justify yourself. You're wanting to mm-hmm. make yourself look great. And yet you're denying common grace to somebody who just has need. No matter yeah. what, no matter what their background is, yeah. it's that denial of grace that is, I think, problematic because to, even to what you're saying, as far as the way that we treat other people, mm-hmm. you know, if we, when we do that exclusionary kind of thing of not treating them as they deserve as a fellow human being, then we are at our base, not acting like Christ because literally everybody that Christ interacted with wasn't a Christian. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I know he's kind of starting something new. Yeah, I know. But, but it, with that idea, like it makes me think of it cause I'm going here in a week to Egypt. Our church mm-hmm. is partnered with Egypt and we're going to be sending a trip there to do missions Ninety percent of that nation's Muslim, and most mm-hmm. of the Middle East is Muslim over there. Um, Muslims, in particular, when I think of Islam and Christianity, when I'm given this picture, that that to me is what I see most often. Is Christians are so fearful of Muslims, mm, yeah. uh, we're, we're judgmental towards them. If I'm just going to characterize with a general umbrella, uh, we fear them because yeah. of, of it, the worst state of the, of militant Islam and what we've seen some of the evil and atrocities that happen. But with that, while all those things are things that we need to be aware of and consider, we also have to realize, well, they're part of the mission. Like yeah. like to this point, like they are part of the mission, and they are being included on the invitation of the gospel call of Jesus Christ. And it's important not to dehumanize them or other mm-hmm. religions as if they're second-class human beings just because they were brought up in a different lineage of faith with a misunderstanding of what is true. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a heart check for us because I think that one in particular with with Islam and Christianity – I, I won't say it's a Samaritan equivalent, but I think it, I think it's probably the closest to it's I can think close. of in my yeah. mind as far as for Western Christianity of how we would view something. It'd probably be Islam in that yeah. same category. Because
0: it's the question of the motivations of the heart, not, yeah. even, not even necessarily the action. It's yeah. just – it, or, or or who it is it's doing well to that
1: point of even islam birthing off of judaism and in the same point and there's some crossover of some 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 things technically of yeah. a god and then you have these two sons and then obviously we won't get we've done a whole episode on islam but there's even <laughs> that same thing of well there's they started off you know kind of well on some ideas and then it just went the wrong way but yeah. same point anyway i think that's just an interesting parallel
0: so then that brings us to the crux of the story verses 36 through 37 lauren go ahead and gra- grab those for us please
2: which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise.
0: So at the end of it, you know, it's important to, to recognize that Jesus isn't saying that because this Samaritan did a good thing, he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. It, it, what he says is he's acting like a good yeah. neighbor, which is what you say is the second greatest commandment. Yeah. And so basically, the idea of the story is to flip the table on this guy and say, look, it's, it's not about justifying yourself, it's about showing mercy to others. And if we're, if we're asking, what is the, what, I'm a believer, I, I follow after Christ, what should I now go do? It's not about virtue signaling or posturing it's about going and showing mercy to other people that's not going to be the act that saves you but it is going to be the thing that makes you look the most like Christ um, and I think that was really the biggest part of his point in that
1: I agree and I think uh, and he's he's telling to go do like him which is also I mean it's it's quite the harsh rebuke you know when he's yeah. telling one of his own you know he's telling to use that equivalent from the metaphor the the pastor the preacher and the worship pastor, Go act like that lost guy. I mean, yeah. that's what he just said. <laughs> yeah. He said, go act like that lost guy. And, and I mean, what a harsh exhortation yeah. if you think about it and put that in a modern day context. That's exactly what he said, where it's like telling a guy that left church, hey, go act like that lost guy that's actually nice outside. Mm-hmm. Go 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 talk like him. Go, go act like him. And how horrible that is but i think we all could agree that that that's sometimes so true within within the church yeah. that that sometimes our lost neighbors and friends are actually nicer kinder more generous and more gracious than God's chosen sons and daughters, and how how jacked up is that? But mm-hmm. it's but it's true. I mean, there are more benevolent people that don't know Jesus than there are that that, that sometimes that do. That happens. Now, overall, I don't want to uh, give a brush stroke that's incorrect. I still think the people of God as a whole are the most generous, benevolent, yes, yeah, historic, yeah, historic movement of uh, across the world. I, I really do think the church changes the world uh, historically and still to this day. But it's a good reminder to us that sometimes we don't act like the church individually yeah. and sometimes we have to yeah. measure our hearts in that way. And
0: just because the people who came before us did it doesn't mean that we automatically yeah, are going to do true. it. Yeah. So. It's um, all right. Well, so I, Lauren, anything before we go today?
2: I don't think so. All right.
0: Well, we've just solved the whole biblical problem. <laughs> but, yeah, well, thank you for joining us for this series, Parables Reimagined. We hope that if you missed any of our previous weeks that you go back and check out some of these other stories that Jesus told. We hope that we've done uh, justice to these stories. And I, I, one of the things that I do want to encourage you on it before we go is – That Jesus told these stories with the mind that those that would listen would put themselves in that story. And and we hope that you understand that in the world you live, you are a part of Jesus' story as well. And for many people, you are going to represent, if you're a believer, who Jesus is and what he wants you to do. And so as he tells this lawyer... Go and do likewise. I think that these parables say the same thing to us who listen, that the story that was told 2,000 years ago is still being told through our lives today. And so we hope that you, citizen and listener to this podcast, we hope that you find your place in Jesus' story and that you find yourself this weekend in a community of faith, growing and learning to become more like Jesus. So for Jonathan Spencer, for Lauren Ortiz, thank you for listening with us today on the Citizen ATX podcast, and we'll see you next time.